Hi there and welcome to Inside Rugby League, the Rugby League podcast brought to you by the Yorkshire Evening Post. I'm Richard Byram and joining me on the line again this week is my colleague Peter Smith. Peter's the Yorkshire Evening Post Chief Rugby League Writer and there's been a little bit going off again on the, off the field this week, Peter. A um, few changes to the rules coming in, but still no official decision on promotion and relegation for any of the divisions. Yeah, we don't really know anything this week that we didn't know last week, <laughs> uh, which has been, uh, been sort of the situation for, for a while now. Uh, the new rules have come in or, or will be brought in when Super League restarts on August 2nd, which we all knew was going to be the case anyway. And there's still, as you say, no decision on what's going to happen with the Championship and League One. What seems to have been ruled out is the Championship or League One, the low divisions, playing behind closed doors. Yes. They were surveyed last week and the majority of the clubs have said they that's not practical for um, for financial reasons, mainly the cost of staging games, the cost of bringing players off furlough and, and having to test them. So that's... Um, that's been ruled out, it seems. But a small majority of them want to keep the option of returning at some stage open. I think they're thinking, well, if restrictions are lifted further and crowds are allowed into um, into matches, then perhaps we can restart after all. So we don't really know exactly what's going to happen. There's still no clarity on promotion and relegation. As I've mentioned on this podcast before, nobody expects there to be relegation from Super League this season. But obviously, Championship clubs are pressing for for promotion. Um, there's some suggestion that perhaps a compromise will be a financial reward for the team winning the Championship Grand Final. That would obviously make it worthwhile even if there isn't promotion. So I think that's that's possibly one of the stumbling blocks. But there's going to be more meetings on the next two Mondays and um, a deadline for a decision has been set for um, the 23rd of July, which is a Thursday, 10 days before August the 2nd and Super League restarts. So it's a very, as we keep saying, it's a very tricky situation. It's not really satisfactory that at this stage we still don't know what's happening. But Hopefully we'll get a decision within the next the next sort of twenty days or so. Um, my feeling is that, as I've said, that there won't be any matches behind closed doors. There might be a some sort of championship and league one season later in the autumn, perhaps. But playing for um, playing for the honour of of winning the title rather than for um, for a place in Super League next year. Yeah, we did well, and I think it was on last week's programme that the wheels turn very slowly when it comes to decision-making in rugby league. And quite often as well, obviously, the clubs have their own self-interests at heart, as well as those of the wider game, and you can understand them wanting to make sure that all the T's are crossed and the I's are dots before they actually make an announcement. But as you say, it's, it's getting ridiculously close now. Uh, I did read myself something about the fact that there were maybe in, instead of paying a club a parachute payment from Super League to go down into the Championship, that that money may well be shared among the clubs, or as you've suggested, 
uh, as a reward for winning the grand final. But yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine the rows that would be over that as well when uh, you know everybody trying to establish how much they've spent and how much they should get of that share. Uh, so another problem perhaps laying in wait for the clubs a bit further down the line. But again, I'm risking repeating myself. I think we've said it many times. We can't see relegation happening. And I can't really see the point of the Championship and League One seasons resuming uh, behind closed doors, which obviously they've said now that they're not going to do. Uh, but it just seems to me, just call it off now, you know, and let people start planning for next season or an early, you know, an early start maybe to next season or whatever. It's very difficult to predict the future at the moment in any aspect of life, as we know. Yeah, it's understandable that clubs don't, to an extent, that clubs don't want to say, well, no, we're not going to going to play because I suppose if, if they made that decision this week and then next week the government said, well, we're allowing a maximum of 5,000 people into a stadium, then obviously they'd feel that they'd, they'd missed yeah. out on that. Um, so that's, it's understandable to an extent, but it, we just need some, some clarity. Um, we're in the middle, well, we're in early July now, say, um, there's going to be 10 days between the, the deadline and Super League starting. Nobody really knows what's going on. It's all all very confusing. And it doesn't, I don't think it shows the sport in the best light, unfortunately. I mean, there have been some good, good things done in Rugby League over the lockdown. I think Rugby League's, as an organisation, the RFL have... have so far come out a bit reasonably well they did a good job negotiating the 16 million pound loan from the government um a lot of rugby league people have been helping in the community foundations have been doing a lot of a lot of good work um but this is something that that really needs resolving now i think yeah certainly I mean, it's, it's crazy that you can't well it'll be about 10 days won't it when they when they finally say what we probably already know <laughs> Uh, which is probably the other frustrating thing from an observer and a spectator's point of view. Uh, just to touch on the rule changes, Peter, and again, we've spoken about them on here before, but there'll be no scrums when the game restarts. Uh, this new six-again rule from Australia they're bringing in instead. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see to see how it works. The, the danger is whenever you get a new rule, in rugby league it's like a new toy to play with and and the match officials tend to go crazy with it for a few weeks so i think we'll be seeing a lot of set starts in the opening matches of the restarted super league season this is going to be in august when the the temperatures potentially could be could be quite high we don't we don't know yet but players aren't going to be at peak fitness the game's going to be speeded up with with no scrums anyway, and the six again rule is going to add even more pace to the game. And, and you just worry a little bit for players' um, health and safety, really. Is the game going to be too fast for players who've just come off a, a five-month break? Um, do we run the risk of, um, of having an injury crisis? Some games the first weekend as we know we've got a triple header three matches on um, one after the other at a venue yet to be announced but which people widely assume is going to be headingly that's going to add a little bit more pressure you, the third game on the pitch is, is obviously going to be a, a tough one it'll 
any surface will have taken a little bit of hammer by the time a third game's played on it. And uh, I just I, I just hope that we're not putting too much strain on, on the players and on players' bodies and um, and that sort of thing with these new rules. But it seems to have been reasonably popular and, and worked quite well in the NRL, Australia's competition. So we'll just have to see um, to see how it goes. Yeah, certainly I think we said last week that Nathan Massey, the Castleford forward, uh, he wasn't over keen on this change, or rather the, the potential for injuries, should I say, uh, brought about by the change and the speeding up of the game and the fact that the players have had a, this layoff, so they're not match fit in terms of taking the big collisions and uh, you know the general tuning of us, so that'll take a few weeks to get back as well. And I think as well... Um, this week, Jackson Hastings, the, the Wigan players, has said something along similar lines on Twitter, I uh, noticed today, uh, just saying that he was a bit worried, you know, the big impacts and players suddenly halting or whatever, you know, and this six again then obviously building on that and keeping the game flowing so really nobody gets chance for a breather. Uh, so, you know, hopefully... It won't be used that much. I, I don't know. There's quite a few scrums in a game, isn't there? I think, did, did we say the other week, about 12 or 15 in, a, in an so average I think game? The average, I think the average in Super League so far this season is 12. Yeah. So it's so going to be 12 um, restarts rather than or 12 handovers or taps rather than, than um, little breaks for players to, to have a breather. And traditionally, the first two or three of those is, is generally a drive-in, isn't it? You know, a sharp pass and a forward takes it forward. Um, I've no doubt players themselves will have some some idea. I mean, maybe some of them will try and boot it to the opposite corner of the goal and, and rebuild from there. Instead, sometimes, you know, uh, take the opposition right back into their own territory and get, although conceding possession, uh, try and keep them pinned down that end. I suppose that, that could be... Another way around it, I'm not sure. You know, if they took one tackle and then kicked it on the second or something, um, it'd be interesting to see. Players always have a way around everything, don't they? They've always thought of something, or coaches, yeah, or coaches, um, yeah, <laughs> to to get around the changes, the sim suss things out. So it'd be interesting to see how exactly it is implemented once the games restart. Yeah, I just hope referees don't go too mad on it. Let's let's not be seen. Um, just a succession of tackle restarts. I've got to bear in mind, say, the, the players' safety and the fact that we all assume that there's going to be some instances of teams playing three times in a week. So I think it just needs to be sensible yeah. about it. So um, it's coming in. So let's let's see how it works. Indeed. And still no, uh, again, a topic we've touched on several times on here, no, no confirmation regarding the Challenge Cup yet either, uh, one way or the other, how, how they're going to fit that into the schedule. I suppose they want to get the league up and running again before they decide about that. Yeah, the, it's looking like a final in, um, in October. We're not sure where yet, but that will be decided, I think, once the Championship and League One clubs have made their decision. I suspect that the draw will remain as it is and if the low divisions don't come back then any Super League team that's been drawn against a low division side will just get a, get a bye. There's, that's manageable. Yeah. You can get around it. But you wouldn't expect low division teams to have to come out of furlough just or prepare just for, um, for one Challenge Cup tie 
um, if their their league season's not going to go ahead. So that's that's something that needs to be worked out. But I don't think it's a it's a huge problem. It's I mean, as we talk now, it's the seventh of July, and the Challenge Cup final I think was supposed to be on the seventeenth. Um, yeah. So in an alternative universe, sorry, the eighteenth. <laughs> so um, it just it just shows how far behind we are, really. Yeah. Yeah, to be honest, I'd forgotten about it moving to July. Um, I know this was going to be the first year of it, wasn't it? So, uh, again, something that we put back till next year instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some sad, sad news this week, Rich. Um, we've heard of the sudden death of Bill Ramsey, who was um, a great forward of the 60s and 70s, very well known in, in Leeds from Hunslet, um, played for Hunslet Juniors, started his career at Hunslet and was the last surviving member of the Hunslet pack, which played in the famous 1965 Challenge Cup final against Wigan at Wembley. Um, Later signed for Leeds, went on to make nearly 200 appearances for Leeds, played in the famous Water Splash final of 68, the championship win of 69, um, eight caps for Great Britain, later had spells with Bradford Northern, Hull and Widnes, and um, briefly back at New Hunslet, as it then was, as coach. Um, never saw him play personally, not live anyway, but he was a hard-running second row, a very a big, very tough player uh, with some skill. I've been talking to a few people about him this this week and everybody speaks highly of him both as a player and as um, as an individual off the field so condolences to all his friends and family yes i read your obituary in the evening post today um again like yourself he's not a player i can recall playing at all but uh, obviously from his record of honors alone and the fact that he played for great britain and how highly people have spoken of him Obviously, a great player in his time, and somebody that people looked up to on and off the field. And echo what you say: uh, condolences to Bill's families and friends. Uh, just moving on from that piece, just an interesting piece that caught my eye today: uh, Wigan Warriors looking at maybe buying Wigan Athletic Football Club. Um, if for nothing else, from my point of view, it would be good to get a ground like that back in the hands of rugby league. Um, you know, it, yeah. we've been talking in the last few weeks about how some league grounds aren't really fit for purpose anymore or some that the tenant and the football club uh, dominates or they have a, an equal share, like, say, at Huddersfield Giants, Huddersfield Town or Hull City um, and Hull FC. Uh, but Wigan, obviously, again, got a superb uh, modern ground over there. And, you know, it'd be interesting... Rugby league getting another big ground of its own, you know, for playing obviously representative games, uh, big matches, and so on. I think the more grounds that we can have uh, under the rugby league umbrella, the, the better. And uh, obviously, Wigan Athletic have uh, had a relationship down there for a few years now, and Ian Lennigan, the man who owns 
uh, Wigan Warriors is a former owner of Oxford United Football Club and I think a former chairman of the English Football League as well. So he knows his football and his rugby league and I think he, he also backed uh, London or Harlequins back in the day as well, didn't he? I'm not sure if he's still got an interest in that club, but certainly helped to um, keep that club going in difficult times down in the capital. Uh, so somebody who's obviously got the sport at heart and... Uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see if that does go through. I know other clubs like the Rhinos and Leeds United have always had a good relationship and the Rhinos have played some of their big games at Ellen Road, haven't they? And for the benefit of both clubs and the city. So it, it is possible uh, for teams to, to do it. And, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see how this one unfolds. They certainly seem very serious about uh, making a bid. So it'd be, I'd be interested to see how that unfolds. Yeah, it's interesting coming at a time when rugby league clubs are obviously struggling so much financially. Um, I think you made a very interesting point about the, the grounds. The more rugby league club-owned grounds we have, the better, really. I think that's one of the reasons why Wigan haven't applied to be one of the teams who host matches when Super League resumes because they don't own the stadium. Yeah. Um, it, it's obviously much better for rugby league to play representative matches or cup semi-finals or what have you on a ground that is, that is owned by a rugby league club. So in that in that respect, yeah, it's a it'd be a great move. It'd be very interesting to see whether it's um, whether it comes off or not. I think there's there's been quite a fair amount of interest in Wigan since the club went into administration. So I would I would think there'll be more cash rich backers out there looking at it but it, it, from Wigan's point of view it, it would be good for them to have local owners yeah 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 as I say I think you know, you know perhaps for an example if the, if the two Bradford clubs had gone in years ago you know the Bradford Bulls don't even play in Bradford anymore do they they've, I know they've had spells at Valley Parade they've had spells at Odsall um, you know it would be you know, the, but the, at the moment they're supposedly playing out of Dewsbury, aren't they? Although obviously this season that hasn't happened uh, to the degree we thought it would. But I, I guess if the season does ever resume, then they will be playing at Owl Lane this year. Um, and Hull City again, I think believe they they're a bit like the Huddersfield arrangement where Hull City owns so much of it. Hull FC and the City Council. I know that's certainly the case at Huddersfield. Um, so if we could get another big ground in that would be great um, absolutely yeah I think Hull, Hull's run by a stadium management company isn't it but obviously the two the two clubs share it there's quite a, a number of ground shares between rugby league and um, rugby sorry rugby league and football clubs but um, not too many that have had the same owner I think Hull City did didn't they back in the Boothry and um, Boulevard Days they were both owned by the same individual, but it's not something that's that's particularly common. It'd be interesting to see if if it goes ahead how it works. Yeah, well, it, it stands to common sense, I think. And the Wigan guy Lenigan said today, you know, that there are plenty of people who support both, despite the perception that it's a rugby league town, and the the rugby, uh, the footballers are more incomers than you know, obviously given Wigan's great history in rugby league. Uh, but obviously, I know plenty of people who support Leeds United and the Rhinos, and you know some are rugby and 
the fact that Rhinos play on Friday night has made it easier uh, for football fans, I guess, to still support both teams. Um, so, you know, there is plenty of interest there and, and, and plenty of common ground. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that, you know, if it's possible, they can get something done for the good of the of the game, game as a whole, as you say, for for representative games and, and cup semi-finals and so on, you know. Wigan's a big traditional rugby league town and it's it's only right that they should stage some of those games too, in my opinion. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure, just finishing off on there, uh, London at the moment, I think they're playing at Ealing, aren't they? But they've, they're another team who've sort of hopped in and out of football and rugby union grounds down the years, haven't they? And, uh, maybe further down the line, somebody may well be interested in them playing at a football ground again. Again, it would be nice for a, a more firmer base down there, but help grow the game. But we'll we'll have to wait and see. That's been tried a few times, I know. Oh, they've played, London have played in their various guises, have played all over the capital yeah. from um, from Charlton to, to Barnet. And they've never really put down some roots. They seem to be doing that a little bit in, in Ealing, which is a, a, a shared with a, Rugby Union Club Ealing Trail Finders, and it's quite a nice setup. It, it is developing now. They've got new stands in um, for when London were in Super League last year. Good place to watch rugby. The facilities aren't great, but I'd like I'd like them just to, to maybe establish themselves in in the, the Ealing area rather than move on um, somewhere else. That's not really done them any good over over the years. They've been um, they've been, as I say, all over the capital, and it'd be good just to, to for them to put down roots in the local area and to, to develop some some local support. I think. Yeah, well, I think the the Ealing Rugby Union Club they're quite ambitious as well, aren't they? So maybe that's yeah, yes. hopefully something, as you say, that they can build on, and obviously tap in. You know, there's a global audience there in London, isn't there? There's plenty of people interested or from rugby league playing countries all around the world living there so that that can only help draw people in too and just finally this week peter just a mike cooper the warrington forward um saying there was some issue regarding the restart and uh, pay deals for the players at various clubs but i believe you've spoken to gary hetherington at lee Drynos for tomorrow's evening post about this and uh, he takes a different point of view well um, I suppose he would say that, wouldn't he? But Gary doesn't seem to think there's anything to, to worry about. He's consistently paid tribute to rugby league players for the way they've accepted the pay cuts and, and they've dealt with this difficult situation right from right from the start. Um, I've spoken to, to any number of players over the last few weeks and they've all said that they just can't wait to get back in to training. So we'll... We'll have to wait and see. I mean, you can obviously understand players' concerns if they're being told they're taking a major major pay cut. Um, I think, obviously, a lot of people in a lot of professions have um, have had to do that, but it doesn't make it any easier if you've got a mortgage and that's based on a certain amount and you're told you're going to get less than that amount coming in. But I think we'll have to, um, we'll have to wait and see on that one. But as far as... I'm aware, as things stand at the moment, Leeds are planning to be back in training next week, the week beginning um, 
13th of July, which will give them 20 days to prepare for the Huddersfield game on August the 2nd. Does that then mean that as we, the players would come off furlough then and, and be back under the Leeds wing? Uh, has that not been mentioned yet? Well, the, there's a suggestion that they could be on part-time furlough. I'm still trying to get exactly to the bottom of that. I think it's all still, the implications of it are all still being worked through. Yeah. The club hope that until they actually start playing matches, then they can stay on some some form of, um, of furlough. But there's, there's quite a lot of work to be done before they can actually start training. They've got to make improvements or um, maybe not improvements, but they've got to, to bring the training ground and the ground in line with COVID regulations, that sort of thing. Um, players have got to be tested, which is the first order of business, but all being well, full um, organised training should be back underway next week and then the week after for um, teams like Cass and Wakefield. Yeah, I think somebody I know, their company had furloughed some people and I think you can kind of balance it. You can you can bring them into work for you when they're off furlough, but then if you after a couple of days you can put them back on furlough. So I suppose clubs may say, well, for an example, we'll train Monday to Thursday and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, back on furlough. I suppose that could be one way around it and help to try and keep the costs down to the club. But I think ultimately, as part of the cost of restarting, there's a, another bullet to bite there, isn't there? You know, it's just going to... Somebody's going to have to pay something towards it um, just to get the game rolling again and obviously to fulfil the Sky contract as much as anything with them having help the sport out by not deducting any money from this year's uh, deal to try and get clubs through until the end of the season. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's obviously at some stage clubs are going to have to return to um, to business as usual, but it's going to be very difficult until crowds are allowed back in. And as we've mentioned about the Sky thing, that's it's a good thing at the moment. It'll keep the sport going for a while, the fact that um, clubs are getting a full payment this year, but they're going to be down £280,000 roughly next season. That's a big chunk in the budget. So um, there are still some very tough times ahead, unfortunately. There are indeed. And I think on that note there, Peter, we'll leave it for this week. Um, thanks once again for all your comments and insight. And Thank you, Richard. As we say every week, you can catch up with the latest rugby league news via Peter's Twitter feed at PetersmithYEP or at YEP Sports Desk or at Richard Byron YEP and obviously the Evening Post website, YorkshireEveningPost.co.uk for the very latest uh, rugby league news from Peter and also the latest on the coronavirus, excuse me, coronavirus crisis. Yeah, that's easy for you to say, Richard. <laughs> Indeed put my teeth back in so once again thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you all again soon